you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 3 today. It's good to see all of you this morning. If you are visitors, uh, again, you are honored guests, and we're grateful to have you with us this morning. It is our um, common practice here to preach through books of the Bible verse by verse, and so that's what we're doing uh, today. We're, we've started the book of 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves today at the end of chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses uh, 18 through 23. The title of the sermon this, the sermon this morning is The Call to Be Wise by Being a Fool. And your key words are deceived, wise, and fool. And so I, I chose that title just to kind of, not to be cute, but to, but to kind of take the force of what this passage is telling us this morning. Because really and truly, most sermons that you preach, that preachers preach, you start off with a didactic portion of, the, of whatever you're covering. You're, you're unpacking what the, the scriptures are saying, uh, the meaning of the scriptures. Then you have an application maybe at the end of how to apply those uh, those particular verses, but really what we're looking at this morning is going to be all application because we're at the end of a section of Scripture now that the Apostle Paul has been teaching teaching us on several things. And what we see happening in these verses is Paul is bringing his argument to, for, to, a, to a culmination, to a place of application, uh, to a place of, of, of walking in faith and doing the things uh, that we're called to do. Uh, we've come to really to the end of the first major section of this book of 1 Corinthians. Um, and so Paul here has some commands. He has some, very, some imperative commands for us to do in order to apply what he's been teaching us up to this point. And that's really the, the, the struggle of the Christian life, is it not? Is just that we would not only just learn from God's Word, but we would take what we learn from God's Word and actually put it into action. Because if you don't put it into action, you haven't learned God's Word. And so that's what we're here today is to take what we've been studying for all these weeks and, and, and come forth from this place today with a call to action, uh, a command of things that we should do. Uh, and really, James kind of sums that up for us, probably clearer than anywhere else in the Bible, about uh, the utter necessity of acting out the Word of God, where he says, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer and for who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so that's what we want to be, right? A church of doers, not just a church of hearers. And so I want to read the, the text this morning, and then we're going to go back and kind of explain what the things we've been talking about at this point and see what, is it, is, what it is exactly uh, that Paul is commanding us to do. What is he act, asking us to act upon? Um, so our verses this morning, starting in verse 18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. So up to this point, what we've been really looking at over the past several weeks is that Paul has been dealing with a problem in the Corinthian church. Uh, he starts off with his, um, in his, in his address to them, as addressing them as believers in Christ. We talked about it in the very first sermon on this. that We looked at them where Paul was saying that you are believers in Christ. You have been set apart uh, unto God. You've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. So he's addressing them from that point forward as fellow believers in Christ. And he, he immediately thanks them or, or goes, in, goes to God in prayer for thanksgiving for all that God has done for them. But then immediately he goes to task of why he began to write this letter in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of uh, the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. And so division had crept into this church, very young church, hadn't been in existence just a few years. And so Division had begun to capture them and, and began to uh, define exactly who they were. 
but really what Paul began to do is, as, as he outlines it, that's the problem. That's the problem that I'm seeing, that I'm faced with, that this church is divided. But that's just the external problem. That's the evidence of the problem. The problem is not really division. It goes much deeper than that. And that's what Paul's been really focusing on over the, uh, over the last couple of chapters, that the root problem really is that these people had become enamored with human wisdom. They had really rejected the wisdom of God. They had not understood correctly the wisdom of God, and they had really uh, accepted the wisdom of man, and maybe some of them were trying to blend the two, but really they had become really enamored with uh, the wisdom of man. And so Paul begins to, 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 to attack that first. He begins to teach on what the true wisdom of God is. Uh, he teaches on these two types of wisdom. You have God's wisdom, and you have the wisdom of, of man. You have human wisdom. Uh, and then as he began to go further into the chapter, or the, the first two chapters, he begins to show us, okay, what types of people respond to these types of wisdom. Uh, you have the natural person who, as he said, does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Uh, they reject them outright. And so that's one type of person. But then you have also the spiritual person who does judge things correctly, who does make right appraisals. And so that's the spiritual person. But then he goes into chapter 3 saying, well, I can't really address you as either. Uh, you, you're not a natural person. You are saved. You are a child of God. But you're not acting like a spiritual person. Uh, so he begins to talk to them uh, as carnal Christians, and we looked at that. And so really Paul has been focusing primarily on the root of the problem was misunderstanding of biblical wisdom. And he begins to really focus on what is true biblical wisdom. Is it just a bunch of good ideas or I got a bunch of good ideas and you got a bunch of good ideas or a bunch of pastors get together and, and have some good ideas and that's what we call biblical wisdom or, or some writers who wrote these books? No, the wisdom of God, as Paul has clearly laid out in these early chapters, is that Christ crucified the Savior. Uh, that, we, that the wisdom that, uh, that God has brought to the world is not that we can think our way to heaven or we can do enough good deeds to, to get ourselves to heaven. The wisdom of God says that, no, my son had to die in order for you to be made right with me. And so it, that is the message. That is the wisdom of God. That is where we must rest our head daily, and that is where our worldview and everything that we do must flow out of our understanding of the fact that Christ was crucified. And so that's what Paul has been doing up to this point. He's been uh, uh, challenging these people uh, to see that clearly uh, by comparing it with human wisdom, uh, and that they've misunderstood it. And so now he's at the place of application. Now he's at the place where he's going to challenge them to act on what he's been saying. And so the first point I want us to focus on, we see in verse 18, uh, I've kind of titled it, The Resolution of the Truly Wise. I mean, we're in the, we're in the early uh, days of, of a new year. We all are, uh, maybe we make resolutions. Maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't. But we know what that language means, right? We're resolving to do something. We're, we're committing to, to, be, to act on something. We're going to do something. And so really that's what Paul is bringing about. He's asking these people to make a resolution. He's asking these people to act on something. And what is that resolution? He says there uh, that I will not trust in man's wisdom. The resolution that Paul is commanding us through these uh, in response to what we've already understood and laid out in these early days and what he was laying out for these Corinthian believers was that you must not trust in man's wisdom. And more specifically, you must not even trust in your own wisdom. Now, your own wisdom is, is, is uh, left to yourself is man's wisdom. But a lot of times we can give ourselves an out, right? We can say, well, yeah, I don't trust man's wisdom, but I'm, I'm pretty sharp. I've got a pretty good idea of what's right and what's wrong. And so what Paul is asking them to do is that, no, you can't, you can't even trust that. You must outright reject and abandon anything that has to do with human wisdom, and you must solely accept God's wisdom. That's what he's telling them to do very clearly in verse 18. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So what does he say? He's saying that the only way, the only way, okay, the only way to true wisdom is to abandon your own wisdom. The only way to wisdom that is acceptable to God, that is, that is biblical wisdom, is to reject and utterly re abandon your own understandings and wisdom. You must become a fool 
as far as this world is concerned, in order to be made wise according to God. That's, where, that's why I get the title the way I, the way I put it, uh, that, that God is commanding us to, to become wise by becoming a fool. And that, that just doesn't sound right, right? I mean, I mean uh, uh, earlier we were talking about that's not what we want to be. That's what the, the natural people were really foolish. They were acting fools. And so now Paul is are telling us, okay, no, now I want you to act a fool. I want, to, I want you to act like a fool. So what does he mean by that? And so what we have to understand is that when he says, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, okay, there's where the wisdom he's attacking. There's the wisdom that he's saying that you must make a resolution today to abandon the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of this world. And so if you do that, then you have to look in the eyes of the world as a fool. Because in the wisdom of this age, they think they've got it going on, right? They understand things. They understand uh, things very clearly. And so in order to accept God's wisdom, you have to utterly reject them. So you can't notice then that there, 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 is no, there is no middle ground there. There is no meeting in the middle. There is no, uh, let's, let's blend 60% of this with 40% of that or whatever you want to divide that up. It can't happen. Uh, because you're either going to be a fool for God or you're going to be wise in this age. You know, you cannot, you cannot uh, accept the two. You cannot blend the two. And notice the first thing that he says about this wisdom. Why must you utterly abandon it? Because, he says, let no one deceive himself. Human wisdom is deceptive. Human wisdom is very, very deceptive. And I want to outline just a few ways in which it's deceptive just for us to, to contemplate this morning. The first, thing, the first way that human wisdom is deceptive is that really it appeals to the pride of man. It appeals to man's pride. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. A man who is wise in his own eyes. There is more hope for a fool than him. This, this wisdom is, is it, it's very deceptive because it appeals to our pride. And what does pride do for man? It's very blinding, right? You know, the, the, probably the last thing you'll get a prideful person to admit that he's prideful. You know, it just goes against uh, being prideful. You can't do that. And so pride blinds people. If you consider yourself wise in this age, then who is really going to instruct you? Who is going to instruct you if you think you're the one who's got it figured out? If you think you really understand wisdom, then who will instruct you? Not, not your fellow man and probably not God himself because you're wise in your own understanding. To be deceived, I mean, what does it really mean to be deceived? It, it really means that you are convinced that you are right when you're really actually wrong. And it's so, so blinding and it's so captivating to people because people can get so passionate about the things that they believe, can't they? Have you seen that? Have you experienced that yourself? That you, you know you're standing in the right place. You know that what you think or you know that what you believe is right, but you're deceived. How sad. You're deceived. And God says, the person who is wise in his own eyes, there's more hope for the fool than for him. I don't know what hope there is for the fool, but you're under that. You know, you're worse off than that. And so it, it appeals to man's pride. And so, and so God, the Scriptures are very clear on, on the fact that we have to attack our own pride because pride does not exalt anything except ourselves. And it's going to be there to constantly beckon and call you to say, you are it, you're the man, you're the woman. Who are they to say that their ideas are better than yours? You know, our pride is there to wage war against us constantly. And we become deceived because of it. The second way that human wisdom is deceptive is that it appeals to man's independence. And this is very rampant today. You know, this idea that we don't really need anybody. We, we, we're it. We don't need anybody. We live in a day of individualism. We live in a day of relativism. You know, everybody's right in their own eyes, right? I don't really need some other Christians holding me accountable. I don't need some pastor calling me every week and asking me this or that. I don't need that. It's just me and Jesus. I'm doing good. It's me and Jesus. It's this individualistic attitude. You know, and it's blinding to us because we can actually become comfortable with that, can we not? Because really when you're doing that, you're, 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 
removing yourselves from any, any things that God may use to bring you, to, to sanctify you and grow you. But we can get so into that, and, we, and putting that along with pride too, with what we were just talking about, you become so captivated in that that you actually become just so deceived that you can just completely distance yourself from all of God's people and God's church and still feel good about that and still call yourself one of God's children. And so it's very deceptive and it's very dangerous. Human wisdom is also deceptive because it really appeals to man's creativity. We all enjoy discovery, right? We all enjoy coming up with answers to issues and problems. We enjoy those things, right? That stuff's meaty. It's nice. It's fun. We love to be the one who comes up with new ideas. We love, we love the exchange of information. You know, I mean, what is our day about? I mean, listen, it's all about talk, right? That's all you hear. You got talk radio. You got 24-hour news analysis. You got blogging. I know you bloggers don't like for me to throw that out there, but you do. You got blogging. You got Facebook. You got Twitter. Why did all those things exist? You know, just because the, the Internet's there? Well, no, some of these things were there before the Internet. But why is all of this so rampant? Because we just love new ideas. We love to talk about new ideas. We love to criticize new ideas. We love to say this person's an idiot and this person's got it going on and this person's halfway there. But all of that in that is saying, I got it figured out and I'm just trying to see if they're, getting my, if they're coming my way, right? And so all of that stuff rolled into one deceives us because we love that. We love, the, we love to be creative and none of those things are wrong. I'm not saying those things are evil. But I'm just saying that in that, in the flow of life, man loves that. He loves, to, he loves to talk about those things, and those things can be good to talk about because the, the exchange of ideas sometimes produces good results, but a lot of times it doesn't. And so that's where the deception comes in we have to be very careful with. Acts chapter 17, verse 21, as Paul, uh, right before he went to found the church at Corinth, he was in Athens, and uh, he was talking to the philosophers and all of those on Morris Hill, and he says... Um, now all the, it says in Acts seventeen twenty one. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That's human wisdom. That's human wisdom. They love to talk about and tell something new. I love to hear a new idea. And so we have to be very careful that we're not caught up in that stuff. We don't we don't outright reject it, but you have to be very careful with stuff like that. And then the fourth thing we see here is that human wisdom appeal. It can be deceptive because it appeals to man's honor and nobility. The, I mean, really, and these people, when they're in there 24 hours a day talking about these things, the Rush Limbaugh's and the Sean Hannity's and, you know, the uh, O'Reilly's and all these people, all these people who talk and these, you know, they're the noble per people of the earth, right? They're the honorable people. Those are the people I want to hear from. Those are the people I want to hear their ideas. And so there's nothing wrong with those things. There's, some of those guys, guys are, are, are smart. Some of them are not. But... The wise of this world, they're, they're very noble and honorable. And that, that, all that does a lot of times is it puts blinders over our eyes because then we begin to exalt our own opinions, to think that, okay, yeah, this, this, I've got it going on. I understand that. You know, and, and some of us might think, well, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not on 24-hour TV. I'm not, I don't have a, a blog or I don't have a, a talk show or whatever. But that stuff can still capture you in day-to-day -day conversations, Right? Because you want to be seen as preeminent. You want to be the see the, seen as the guy who has the guy or the, the lady who has all the answers. You want to be the one that people come to constantly. And so we have to be careful that in all of this, and all of these things, let me again, so that I'm not misunderstood, all of these things are not evil. You see, that's where the danger falls for us all, is all the de deception sometimes comes from things that are not evil. They come from things that become God things and are in place of God. They come in things that become more important to us than God. And we have to be very careful from that, careful from that stuff. And Paul is saying here, uh, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And so Paul is, is challenging them because the danger is that they could fall down that trap or, or down that slippery slope that leads them to a dangerous place. And we see Paul laying that out in the early chapters of Romans in verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through 24. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then it says God gives them over. And so you see these things, you, don't, you, you can be down here before you know it. It's a slippery slope and you have to be very careful with that stuff because although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. And so where the challenge is for us is that where am I not being thankful to God? Where am I not giving thanks to Him? Where am I not giving honor to Him? Because there, there's where you begin to go down that slippery slope where become, you're becoming deceived or you might be falling into deception and saying you're exalting more of yourself and you're not bringing honor to Him. So Paul is clearly telling us here that we have a choice to make every day in every situation we come to. We can either follow God's wisdom or we can follow our own wisdom. God's wisdom is Christ's work. Man's wisdom is self-work. God's wisdom declares man's sinfulness. Man's wisdom declares his own virtue. God's wisdom declares the need for repentance and faith in God's solution, which is the Christ Jesus. Man's wisdom declares the need for determination and effort in arriving at our own solutions. God's wisdom is clearly found in Scripture, and man's wisdom is found in his own speculation. And so you see those things are very much at odds. And so Paul here is instructing us after he's painstakingly laid out for us what, it is, what God's wisdom looks like, that you must now make a choice. You must now make a choice in your everyday life. Will I follow God's wisdom as it is laid out in the Scriptures? Or will I pick and choose where I want to follow it? Or will I outright abandon it for my own wisdom? And so he's commanding us to do that. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age... Let him become a fool. That's a command. It's an imperative that he may become wise. That's the road to wisdom. The road, to, the road up is the, is the way to get up is to go down. We must go down in our own impressions of ourself and our own understandings in order that we may go up with God in his own wisdom as he supplies it from the Scriptures. And so as Paul, as being any good preacher that he is or counselor, as he's given this command, he gives a reasons why he gives this command in verses 19 and 20. He says, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he, cratches, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. And so here Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. The first part of that where he says he catches the wise in their craftiness is a, a direct quote from... Um, uh, from Job chapter 5. And really what this is, it's interesting that he quoted from this particular place because that's actually one of Job's friends. You remember Job was having all these problems. Uh, his life pretty much got turned upside down, you know, uh, lost his family uh, in severe physical pain, lost everything he had, and then his three friends come and join in and start telling him about all the things he was doing wrong and that he had brought all this upon himself. And so this is actually the words of Eliphaz, one of his friends, who says... Uh, that, the, um, that he catches the wise in their craftiness. And so later on, it's interesting that it, you know, God allows these three men to go on for several chapters and several things that they say to Job. And then he finally says, you know, the things you have spoken are incorrect. You're wrong. You're way off. You could not be any more wrong of why this is happening. And he chastises them. And so in their own understanding of their own wisdom, Eliphaz is actually quoting something true about God here. But in his own application of that, he was a completely off. So even in his own understanding and his craftiness, he was wrong. And another clear example in the Old Testament is, is the, the man Haman. Remember Haman in the book of Esther? Esther was, um, um, was called to be the queen or, or was selected to be the queen. Um, and um, 
and she was a Jew, and then she had her uncle named Mordecai, and, and she found, they found out that Haman was, was plotting this evil plot to, uh, to destroy all the Jews, and he was going to use the law in some way, and somehow, and then Mordecai, in his wisdom, uh, actually um, got Esther to go to the king. You remember the story. Well, hey, remember, Haman built those gallows because he wanted to have Mordecai. He had tried to set him up. He was going to have him hanged on those gallows. But then what happened? God uh, showed what showed the king exactly what was happening through Mordecai and through Esther. And then actually Haman was hanged himself on his own gallows. And so that's a clear example of God actually catching the craftiness, the craftiness of men, of human wisdom, and us of trying to do the things that we think is right. He catches them in it. And he, and he calls it fool. It's foolishness to God. And so really and truly what he's saying here in this first part is that man's wisdom is really silly. It's folly and it's moronic. It cannot hold up against God's wisdom. If you could take all of the wisdom of every philosopher and every thinker throughout all of, all of history, you know, pick, pick whoever you want and just cram them into one brain, it still would not compare to the wisdom of God. Because what these men have were given to them by God, the ability to think. The ability to do things was given to them by God. And so when God looks at this, He's saying the world's wisdom is really foolishness. It's folly to God. He laughs at it. He stands in derision at it. And so it's silly. It also, He's saying that it's seductive because as we were just saying, uh, it's crafty because Eliphaz was actually thinking he was doing God's work, but he was not. Haman was very crafty. He was very sadistic. And he tried to, uh, to destroy uh, Mordecai, but actually but actually he was overthrown himself. And so those things are seductive. They pull us in and we don't even realize it. We're missing God's wisdom and we don't even realize it. Um, God says in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 11, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And this is God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so you see God is clearly saying that you wise men, you, you men of understanding, your ways are foolishness to me because your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. My thoughts are much higher than yours. And so we have to understand that even in, even in the greatest minds of our time, our greatest understanding of things do not compare with God's wisdom. It cannot. God's ways are not our ways. And then, he's, and then also there in verse 20, man's wisdom is really sad because he says there, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. It's really a pretty powerful word. It means to be empty. It means to be useless. It means to accomplish nothing. And so even though man's wisdom has accomplished some good things, we have some uh, advancement in technology, advancement in medical understanding, and, uh, and, and things that help us live more comfortably. But have we really progressed with that gain in, in knowledge of those things? Has man really progressed? No. In fact, I could make a case, I think, if we look at the world, that we've gone worse. The more, the more understanding that we have according to this life, the worse we seem to become morally. And really, that's what we're getting at, too. It's not about learning how to, to, uh, to kill cancer or learning how to, uh, to capture the sun's rays or, or, or to make a cell phone go completely across the world and talk to somebody. That's not what we're talking about. Those things are nice, but what we're talking about is morality. And so when God says, when I look at man and his morality, I see that man's wisdom has taken him to a place of uselessness. It's futile. We must abandon it. We must give it up. It's sad. We must see it for what it is that it accomplishes nothing. And so God calls us here 
to make a resolution to abandon our wisdom, to abandon our wisdom for God's wisdom. And he gives us reasons for it. But then in verses 21 through 23, he gives us really the recognition that fuels, that will give us the fuel to to bring forth this resolution. He says there in verse 21, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So I want you to notice here that the first three chapters he was kind of telling, he was telling, he's given us a command, do not be deceived. Uh, Turn away from man's wisdom. It's foolishness. It's folly. Uh, it's, It's crafty. It's deceptive. It's futile. It's useless. That's why you need to turn away from it. Well, now he's given us another command. He's saying, let no one boast in men. Why? Because men aren't really shouldn't be really boasted in? Yeah, that's, par- that's partly true, but that's not what he says here. He says, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. All things. He starts off uh, the end of verse 21, and then at the end of, the end of verse 22, it's kind of a, a bookend there. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or the future. All of these things belong to you, child of God. All of these things are yours. So don't be deceived. You turn away from human wisdom because it's folly with God and it's useless. But here, but we're seeing here that we, we also do, we turn away from those things and we don't boast in men because there's no reason for it because we already own these things. These things belong to us. Paul and Apollos, remember, we've already uh, looked at that very extensively. They were dividing. They were in their little camps. I'm of the Paul camp. I'm in the, I'm in the Apollos camp. I'm in the Cephas camp. And so they were dividing over these men, not because these men were leading a division because they were saying, hey, I'm over here and you're over here. No, it had nothing to do with the leaders themselves. It had to do with the people's perception of those leaders. They're saying, I like Paul's way of preaching better. Or I like Apollos' manner better. Or I like Cephas a little better. Or I, have, I, I like the way he talks about this thing better. Or I like this. And so that's what was going on here. And so... And so Paul is saying here, why are you boasting in these men? They all belong to you. They all are gifts of God to you, to, your ch- to, the, to His church. They were given to the church for a purpose. They all belong to you. And so there's no reason to boast in these men. And so we have to say that we have to do away with pride. We have to do away with this boasting in men. These God-given teachers were given for the advancement of the church. And as I said, they weren't there actively leading different parties. They were there working in their roles and understandings that they were given as a gift to the church to build the church. And so these people had falsely understood what, what God's wisdom would bring to this, and so they had used their own wisdom to divide themselves up in these different camps. And that can go in two different ways. You can say, well, I'm positively identifying with John MacArthur because I just like John MacArthur and I like his Bible, his, his study Bible, and I like this and I like that. Or you could say, I like R.C. Sproul because I like this and I like the way he does this and I like the way he does that. Or you say, I like John Piper or I like, my, I like Mark Driscoll or I like this person or that person or I like Nick, Conno- Nick Kennecott, I like Russ Jenkins or I like Steve Thomas because of these particular things. That's one way we can divide up, right? That's kind of a positive way because you're focusing in on a positive attribute of that person. You're saying, I want that. I like that. That draws me. But there's also a negative side of that too. You can say, well, I like John MacArthur because I don't like Mark Driscoll. They just don't go together. You know? Or I like John Piper, but but I don't like R.C. Sproul because I'm over here in John Piper's camp and I'm not in R.C. Sproul's camp. Or I like Nick Kennecott but I don't like Steve Thomas or I don't like Russ Jenkins. And I like Russ Jenkins because I don't like Steve Thomas and I don't like Nick Kennecott. So you see how deceptive these things are? Because none of us are here for you to like or for you to join in our camps. Now, let me say that again. I do want you to like me. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? We weren't given to build a following behind us. God has gifted us and given whoever He's given to the church for the purpose of building His church for being a tool in the garden as we talked about earlier, right? We're not dividing up over which tool we are because each tool is valuable. 
It has a purpose. It has a plan that God has given to it to apply to the church. And so he's saying, don't divide up over these men. Don't boast in these men, for all of them are yours. All of them has been given to you. We, have a, we, we, own, we own everything in the world, Christian. We own it all. It belongs to us. It's God's world. This is our Father's world, right? And everything that He's given is given for the purpose of, uh, of building His church, exalting His name, bringing glory to His name. And He goes on to expand the list where He says, for these men are yours. The world, the world is yours. Life and death is yours. The present or the future, they all serve the purpose. They all serve a purpose in God's redemptive plan. Even though the world is, as we've talked about back in 1 John, is under the, under the sway of the evil one, right? It's an evil world, but it still is our Father's world. Even in the midst of all the evil, the Christian still has tremendous resource here. It's still the, the, the place where we work in His kingdom, Right? That's why we, we encourage you not to, turn, not to turn your eyes against the world and saying, well, it's so evil, I just can't do anything with it. No, it's because it's evil. That's why we've called into it. We must go into it. It's ours. It's there for us to go and expand His kingdom because His kingdom is going to grow. Life and death is ours, right? We, are, we above any other person on the planet, understand life and death. Life serves us, right? Because our life is not in us, it's in Christ. And that's the only way we understand life is through Christ. Death. Death actually serves us. Do you understand that? Death takes us out of this painful world into the very presence of God. There is no sting in death, and that's why. Because it's just a transport, a portal that takes us into a greater place of existence the spiritual realm, heaven. And so we no, we no longer fear death. It serves a purpose for us. The present or the future. You know, the present, I think, is talking about this present age, this, this time, as we live in this life, as we live in this world. Even the things that we... Everything that happens to us serves us. Do you understand that? Do you understand that getting cancer serves you if you get cancer? It serves a purpose that God has for you. We have to understand when he's talking about all these things work together for good, we have to understand that it doesn't always mean it's going to be pain-free, but it serves a great purpose for us. Nothing happens to us that are outside of his eyes and his hands and his decreed will. And they serve us. They belong to us. And the future, the future belongs to us. Heaven, the, where, the place we are going, the celestial city, the place we are journeying to is there awaiting us when we get there, right? And that belongs to us. It belongs to the people of God because we are going to dwell with God forever. So all of these things are yours. So you have to understand what it is that we have going for us. We have to understand that, that it, human wisdom takes our eyes off of all that stuff. Human wisdom makes us look at the here and now and makes us fret over the fact that you know, I'm, I'm losing my job or, or, or my, my marriage is going south or, or my kids are doing this or this or that or I've got this disease or this person just died and I don't know how to handle all that. And, you know, all, human wisdom makes us... It destroys hope. It destroys all hope. But God's wisdom brings nothing but hope. And so the command here, the, the force of the command that Paul is giving us here is that you can't have both. And I think a lot of times we try to live in the realm of both of those, don't we? Sometimes we take our eyes and we, and we forget about God's wisdom and we lean on our own wisdom and we become hopeless. And we don't know what to do. We don't know how to act. We don't know where the answers are anymore. We drift away. And it's so sad. But it doesn't have to be that way because God says... Don't be deceived. Recognize it for what it is. You're leaning on your own wisdom. Lean not on your own understanding. How does it go? But in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps, right? That's Proverbs. That's wisdom, literature. We have to recognize that human wisdom will never accomplish anything for us. It will always destroy us. And Paul is clearly saying here, through all the things that he's taught these people, he's saying that, look, the root problem with your division, 
is not the fact that you just decided to be divided. It's the fact that you have abandoned, you have abandoned biblical wisdom. You are not accurately applying biblical wisdom to your life. And too many Christians live compartmentalized lives, right? We come on Sunday, we sing songs, we participate in the activities of the church, but we go through life with no regard to God's Word or God's glory. We cannot do that. That is living, trying to live with both, on both sides of the ditch or, or, the, or the line, really. You're saying, yeah, I love God and I believe He saved me. And I believe I, He's got a place for me. I believe I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Him forever. But in the meantime, I've got it. I've got it right here. I've got it. I've, I've got it figured out. I'm, I'm tracking my life. It's a terrible existence. Because when we're saved by grace, we're saved at that moment. We're not saved for heaven. We're saved from sin. We are saved for heaven, but we're also saved from sin at this, in this life. And the only way we can understand that and grow in that and live a victorious life and bring God glory is if we abandon our own understandings of, of, of wisdom and solely focus on God's wisdom. We had a great class this morning in the Proverbs class. We were just trying to talk about... Um, just how you apply the Word of God to our everyday life. And we just threw out one little word called forgiveness, and it took up the whole class. <laughs> you know why? Because I don't think we really understand how to apply it. And I'm not picking on the class because I was in the class and I was struggling to get it too. But because in the nuts and bolts, in the, in the everyday life, when we get in there and we rub shoulders with each other and we rub shoulders with our coworkers and our unbelieving family members and we get out there and we and we hear the things that they value and you know we're like oh my gosh i don't know how to deal with that. i don't know what to do with that i'm just gonna go sing some songs on sunday and read my bible and and look maybe god will send somebody else to them that has got that's got it better more figured out than i do because i'm gonna mess it up if i try to get in that mess but we can't be that way god has called each one of us to live in this life and to rub elbows with those people and to have a reason for the hope that is in us. He's called us to give that answer. That's not just a call to give an evangelistic appeal. That's a call to give answers to people for the hope that's in you. How can you forgive? I can't forgive, but tell me how you can forgive. But you know what? You've got to be able to forgive in order to tell them how to forgive. And so the wisdom of God beckons to us to live a life of forgiveness and to practice that because you can't just know it in your mind and it just flow out of your, your hands and your feet and your mouth, right? You've got to practice it. You've got you to recognize those opportunities where I need to forgive, where I've been wronged by this person. You need to go and forgive that person. You need to live in that. You need to walk in that. And that's the challenge. Because if you don't, a lot of most of the time, well, I say probably every time, we don't want to. We don't want to do those things. We want there to be some vent. We want to be some pain involved, or we want to see something exactly because I I feel pain. I want you to feel the pain, right? But that's not biblical wisdom. That's man's wisdom. We have to abandon that. We're called today to abandon that because if we abandon that, then we are looking foolish in the world's eyes, right? We are becoming a fool if we do that in the world's eyes because the world is all about itself. The world is all about, you must make them pay. Have you ever had gotten counsel like that from your friends? When, you, when they hear something that's happened to you and you say, well, I'll tell you what I'd do in that situation. I'd, no, 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 no. Right? You've got to say, away, that's foolishness. I can't do that. I must forgive them because my Savior forgave me and I did far worse to Him than this person has ever done to me. Right? And then what does the world say when you do those things? Man, that's foolish. That's crazy. But maybe God will use that to open their eyes because one day something will happen and we'll have the opportunity to impress the gospel upon Him and they're going to come looking for you again because they recognize that something is, wrong, something is different in you. Because the force of 1 Peter 3.15 of always being ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you 
is because something looks different in you that they would come to you to ask you that. Right? And so you need to be ready. He's saying, be ready because it's coming to you, Christian. People are going to come to you and ask you. Because you've been, act, you've been actively in, in working out God's wisdom in your life and you've been applying it. And listen, I could stand up here all afternoon and list thing after thing after thing and item after item and uh, whatever that we have to apply God's wisdom to. Our finances, our marriages, our parenting. The things we do, the things we watch, the, things, the recreations we're involved in. Right? And we can just go on and fill this day up with things that we must apply God's wisdom to. And we're able to do that because, not because we have this great power in ourselves, it's because God has given us the power through the gospel, right? And that again goes back to what Paul has been teaching us through it. It is, the, it is Christ crucified. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of, the God, it's power of God to live our lives to live a life that is holy and pleasing to Him. And then Paul, some, Paul just puts the nail in the coffin at the end because he gets us to understand what is our position? Where do we rest? Where do we stand every day? Because he says, All things are yours, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, present, or future. All these are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. What is your position, Christian? Your position is that everything in the world belongs to you and you belong to Christ because you are in Christ and Christ belongs to God. And so he's theologically summing all this up by telling us and reminding us what it is that where is our position in life. We're not just out here trying to do this in our own strength, in our own wisdom. We're out here as being a part of God Himself and being in His family. We are in Christ and we are in Christ is, in, is God's. And so that's a pretty secure place to be, is it not? All things belong to the Christian. The Christian belongs to Christ and Christ is God's. And so we have to appreciate and understand where we stand and where we walk every day, every minute of every second of every day. Because you see, the greatest joy in this life is not in ownership, but in being owned. Our greatest joy in earth, on this earth is not in the things that we own, but in the fact that we are owned ourselves. We are owned by Christ. The greatest joy is not in standing out amongst people, but knowing where you belong, right? It's not about me. It's about who I'm a part of. It's about Him. And the greatest joy in earth is not what we hold individually, whether it be wisdom or things or whatever, but what we all hold together. And there is where the force of the church comes in and the importance of the church because one Christian on the planet is very powerful, but when you put them together in a local body, that, that's, that's the power of God in that community. And so if, if you've got one individual Christian, if each of us are taking this command seriously and we're abandoning the wisdom of man and we're holding to the wisdom of God and we're searching the Scriptures daily, we've got our noses in the Scriptures daily and we're seeing what God says about finances and we're seeing what God says about marriage and about sex and about... Uh, food and about everything that we do. If we're seeing and studying and seeing what God says about all these things and we're acting on those and we're living on those and we're doing that individually, what happens when we all come together and do that together? Then you have a force to go out in a community with that good news that can spread to those people around you. Then you have strength in numbers you have the ability to go out and do these things and that's what god has called us to do and that's what paul was trying to set straight because he loved these people at corinth did he not he loved them dearly he wasn't just there to beat them over the head and set them straight and say you idiots why how, why did you get this all wrong he was there to love them and tell them of their position in christ and what god has done for them and what and how much he loved them but he was also there to give them the right answers. He was also there to give them the right perspective, the right wisdom to hold to. 
and he didn't play any bones about it. He laid it out there. And he made them, he made them take, you're going to have to make a choice. You're either going to go with the way God says or you're going to go the way man says. And so that's the choice that stands before us as a church today. Are we going to lean on our own understanding and our own wisdom and our own preferences and our own desires and what I want, or am I going to follow God's wisdom? And God's wisdom always leads us to be a servant and putting others above myself, does it not? That's what God's wisdom does. And so if everybody is walking in humility, then there's no problems, right? <laughs> I mean, just think through it now. If everybody's being humble, there cannot be any problems. Because humility always puts others above itself. And so if we're all working, walking in humility and we're all rejecting that fleshiness that comes out in us sometimes that wants to hurt people or wants to say this about this person or wants to say this about this thing or whatever. If we reject that as saying, no, that is, that is man's wisdom. That's my own understanding. That's my own wisdom. That's my own flesh. I'm rejecting that for God's wisdom that says forgive, love, serve. Then we're, then we're on the right track. And the gospel is being seen through us because the gospel is all about serving, Right? If anybody deserved to, to be on his high horse, it was Jesus Christ when he came down to earth. I mean, I don't even, you know, we think, how in the world did he even walk amongst those people? Here's the, I mean, we, we have the attitude that we can't even walk amongst these people sometime, right? Because they're just so messed up. They're so sinful. They're doing this thing and they're doing that thing. I don't understand these people. I, I just got to stay away from those people. We have sinful desires ourselves. Here's the Son of God Himself who walked on the earth, who had no sin. But yet He he dined with sinners and He healed them, He loved them, He served them. He set aside the glories of heaven to come down to be amongst men. That's our example. That's our call. That's our command from the Scriptures. That's what the Gospel is about. We're here to serve others. We're here to love others. And we're here to forgive and put others above ourselves. And so as long as we are striving to understand the Gospel, as long as we are striving to understand who Christ really is and the wisdom of God, then we will be better able to understand and recognize when we're leaning on our own wisdom. Because we lean on our own wisdom every day in some form or another. We're tempted to. And we have to be able to we have to sharpen our minds to recognize it, so we can turn from it and, and say, "No, I will have no part of that. I will follow God." I, my prayer is that God would give us the ability and the blessing and the grace to do that, because we want Him to receive the glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.